Hey coaches, welcome to the Get More for Coaches podcast. I'm your host, Joe B. Slay, an author of Get More for Coaches. This is part two of our interview with Coach Mauricio Ruiz, head men's soccer coach from Jacksonville University. In this episode, he'll be sharing his coaching background and his path to becoming a Division I coach, his thoughts on the differences between coaching at the youth level and the collegiate level, what it means for him to be successful as a coach, and he's going to share a lesson from the most influential coach in his life. I hope you find it valuable. Remember, you can always find us online at getmorecoach.com. Very good. Yeah. Um, so tell me um, like a little bit about your background and, and, and maybe how you even got into coaching. Sure. Yeah. So, so I moved from Brazil with my family to here to Florida when I was 12. Um, struggled in the first few years with the language, identifying a club team to play for. Um, so I kind of just kept jumping. You know, we weren't aware of the club system here. So I had I had a youth career that led me to like ODP, like regional team and so forth and so on. But we moved a few a few times within our town. So that caused us to move teams as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I never felt like I had the impact, the positive impact of a coach that I knew I was seeking and that players really look for. Then went out to college, you know, play college. And it was a bit of the same. It was good people, but I didn't feel like that coach ended up being a mentor. And to me, um, I say my philosophy as a coach is mentor and educator first, right? I want to make sure that the influence that I'm naturally going to have on a player is a positive influence as, be- as best as I possibly can because um, I never felt like I had that, in- that positive influence. We're all influenced by our coaches, whether we like it or not. Right, we're going to be probably some of the most influential people that, that, are, that our athletes are ever going to come across. And it's going to mold their belief of leadership, of servitude. It's going to mold that. So I want to make sure that if I'm going to have that impact, even without knowing that I'm going to have that impact, I want to be very intentional about it. So you know, you've been around this for a couple of years now. The format and how I talk to the players, how I include them in what's happening, mm-hmm. the empowerment that we give, I give to my staff and to the players around, give them some, some autonomy of the process because my experience wasn't like that right. when I was I had some good tactical coaches mm-hmm. that were good that taught me better the soccer piece of it but the human aspect of it I always felt like I was longing for one uh, I did have one really good coach that um, that I consider a mentor into today he's the Seattle Sounders academy technical director uh, Mark Nichols and he was a great football coach football mind uh, I can pick his brain but most of our conversations were about life and most of our conversations were about behavior and being the better version of yourself. And out of all the coaches that I've had, and I've had numerous, somehow he's the one that today I remember as being the most influential coach for me. Uh, so I want I wanted to be that. And and, and, and and that may not fit for everyone's profile, but the players that I, I'm naturally drawn to when I do get in a conversation with them are players that I feel like I can have, I can have that impact. Uh, and that just molds my coaching philosophy, that molds, that molds my mentorship and how I want to deal with the players. Um, and hopefully it molds them in the impact that I'm going to have on them. Yeah. Well, I, I notice it with your players because, you know, I was talking with some of the assistant coaches and, you know, in the camp right now, like this is kind of voluntary if they're here and they're mm-hmm. around. It's not something you can force on them, but you, you see them coming. You see them coming out and you say they're coming out to all the sessions and they're kind of jumping in and helping and mm-hmm. being a part of it. And, you know, I see you being able to <clears throat> kind of go around as the as assistant coaches are running things, uh, and you're 
able to go talk with them and, and have conversations with them and you're building those relationships with them and I see them coming and seeking you out the same yeah. way um, just be, because I think they they are looking for that you know that mentorship that encouragement you know how can I be involved here how can I be here and I mean and a reason a lot of these kids are probably because I've only been here two years but I, I see some kids that have returned sure. that are in yeah. the camp and you can see how much they are interested in being here potentially as a player sure. in the future. So, um, well, I think I think it's important when people feel like they they have an investment into the environment as well. They're not just told what to do, but they're asked how we can make how, how can we make this better. What do you think? Right? Because then the, the biggest difference with I believe our guys are guys that want to be here rather than they have to be here. Right. right, and I think you know, we as coaches uh, should often seek players that have that desire, but create an environment where they seek more, they want more, and they're asking for more, rather than what well, we jump in as coaches all the time with the answer. Mm-hmm. Like we want to tell them right from wrong. Um, so I often take, which is the longer approach of asking them questions. What do you think about this? How did you feel about that session? What do you think you could have done a little bit better? I allow them to really guide their process a little bit more or really drive their process and I just I can be a facilitator rather than the one that's telling them what to do that takes a little bit longer right Mm -hmm. but the the longevity of of that relationship the benefits that eventually you're gonna have on them and how they're gonna develop their own personality and they're gonna develop their own process whether it's soccer with family and relationships and eventually with work um, I think the outcome of that is so much more more progressive and so much more exciting for me to see a young freshman really grow as a young man, junior, senior year, rather than just do, what, do what's being told of them to do. Because mm-hmm. they'll do that, and I can do that as well. Um, I, I just don't find this, that same pleasure in that yeah. process. Um, so, and, and I love when, when our guys take ownership and they want to be here. Yeah. Um, so I heard you, you, know, you said in that, that, you know, that process now of, of working with the kids and, and allowing them to take ownership and have some of that, is that, do you, do you see that different than you did when you first started coaching, when you first got into coaching? Or was, you know, your focus kind of always that way, always the same? Um, or has it changed from when you first entered into coaching? Um, and is it, or, or is your focus the same, but just the way you go about it different? Yeah, I, th- I think my focus is the same. I think the vision and how I always want to interact with players um, is the same. But for sure, I mean, I started coaching, you know, college soccer in in a way. So it's been a little bit over ten years now, um, and the method to go about it has completely changed. You know, I've seen a lot of really positive influences in other coaches that have been really successful doing this. And then success is also you know how you how you define success. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen some other coaches that have done it in opposite ways that I just wouldn't do it the same way. But I learned a lot from them as well, and I'm grateful to have been in some of the environments to to learn different. You know, something that maybe doesn't apply to me, and I want to make sure that players, my players at least, don't go through that. But I'm probably really heavily influenced and just kind of what my experience was as a player. You know, the environment that I wanted, I would have hoped to create while I was going through it. And I yeah. think today I try to create that environment where player from 1 through 25 on a roster at least has a relationship within the program. They don't, they don't just feel like they're just waiting their turn and they're just another number. Because the guys that are working camp here, the guys that we have relationships with, they're not necessarily our captains and our starters and our seniors. These are players that you know, that fit the spectrum of anything. First team all-conference guys, the guys are just giving us minutes every other game. 
we talk about that a lot within our team. If you're if you're on the roster, or even if you're on the JV, like how are you contributing? Contrib- contribution, right? Yeah, absolutely. Make a contribution. Find that niche, whatever you could do. If it's five minutes a game, or it's just in the practice field. You know, working hard and helping the other guys get better. You know, competing. Um, you know, picking up equipment, whatever it is. If you're here, part of the team, you can contribute and have a positive impact sure. on. on on the wins and losses. Um, what, uh, so did you start out, you started out coaching, your first coaching was in college? No, I started youth, youth coaching. Yeah, okay. so I played a little bit in the, in the major indoor soccer league. Uh, there was a team in Orlando at the time, that's where I was. Came in, I played, I played with them, but I was already coaching a little bit of youth soccer in, in that period. Um, and that really just grew my love for soccer. I coached JV high school at one point for two years in Orlando as well. I was coaching youth. My first team coaching, I was 23 years old, um, youth soccer, rec team, wasn't getting paid. I was working IT. You know, that was my education out of college. Um, kind of had gone through like the, the professional tryouts, fell out of love with, you know, the reality of what professional soccer right. is. It's right. not that thing that we think it is it's a lot of hard work and it's here in america at that time was still not really getting paid and mm-hmm. getting a stipend living in a house with six dudes and you know so when i went through some of that process process i just kind of was like you know what that's not i don't have a drive for that and other people do it and i applaud them for it um so i really want to get into coaching but i went i came back home and i started working it my background is in it and i was doing help desk over the phone and into three o'clock in the afternoon from eight to three. And then I went to volunteer at a local club and pick up whatever coaching or lining field or helping out with equipment that I could. And that formed into a couple of, a couple of other opportunities within the club, U14 here, U16 there, U12. Um, someone else said, can you, coach, can you come coach my JV team at the high school? They coach a high school team. I said, sure. Like anything that had to do with being out of the office, out on the field, working with kids, I just loved it. So I did that for a couple of years. An opportunity came to get some um, positions within the club, being a director within the club. So I kind of just kept being influenced in, in an environment where soccer was just like every day. And that's what I wanted as a kid, whether yeah. I just didn't know that it was going to be outside of the playing field. It was going to be more on the sideline. But, uh, but I, I was living my dream. I'm, I'm working in soccer day in and day out. Very quickly, uh, I then I quit my IT job. I took on um, a pay cut to be a bit of a director of a rec um, the rec director, the rec director of that club. Um, then a professional team came, the indoor team came, but then that kind of fell out. Same thing. It was you know you're getting paid just a little bit, six months out of the year, um, and then uh, the opportunity came to volunteer. My first coaching gig was in 08. I had been coaching club for a couple of years at that point, and uh, and I went to to the, to the UCF coach in Orlando, and I said I just I want to be a college coach. It was the most influential time of my life was when I was playing college soccer and I wanted to be a college coach and I knew that and I was 24 um, and I just like, I'll, I'll come volunteer. I, I coach at night, you know, I'll drive, I'll come in here every day. He goes, he goes I'll take you on as volunteer, but one thing, um, one standard that we have, you have to be a full-time coach, but you just won't be, you just won't be paid. So I had to realign some things. Um, at 24, I moved back in with my parents. I had a little condo that I was renting and I thought I was living the life. I moved back in with my parents. I went to mom and dad and I said, here's what I want to do. I'm going to be a college coach. I, need, I would like your support. I moved back in. I'll pay all my bills because I'm going to coach at night and I'm going to do camps and whatever individual training sessions. I did that for two years. Uh, and then opportunity within that program 
came available and I just made the most out of it and little, uh, slowly graduated into volunteer to second assistant, first assistant, associate head coach, and the opportunity seven years later um, here at JU came, came about to become a head coach. So um, it's a grind at the beginning. It's, 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 a, it's a tough grind early, but to me, I, I, honestly, between me and you, Joby, it's if you find passion in what you can do, I mean, that old saying, that's a cliche, like you never work a day in your life. Like yeah. you see me here with the campers. I don't, I mean, I have full trust in my staff. I can be away and I know they're going to take care of it, but I get to be around campers. that want to co- play soccer. I get to be around coaches like yourself that want to coach soccer and use it to grow human beings. I mean, it's, it's the best job in the world. So absolutely. Absolutely. Um, what do you, so now being at the division one level, what do you see, um, you know, is maybe is there a difference between coaching at the youth level where you were for several years and and then now coaching here at the collegiate level there, there is and there isn't right i think depending depending on the approach that you take um i think there, there are a lot of coaches in college that still see the game as as, as an ability to develop the human being um and, and use it to develop the game and con- continue to teach Unfortunately, the college soccer season doesn't allow for that too much, uh, and that's a completely different, it's a completely different conversation. Right. Uh, but if you still take the approach of coaching as an approach to develop human beings and, and use the game of soccer to do that, it doesn't have to be that different, right, for coaching youth soccer. The difference is that winning really matters at this level, and um, where youth soccer it, it does matter, but it should matter less. It should be fully about, de- about development. Mm-hmm. Part of development is to teach kids how to compete, and competing right. has an outcome and has a win and loss column, yep. so depending on the age. So if you're talking about U9, U10, U11, I'm going to tell you that it's about fully development, right? It's about fully technical skills, tactical skills, space and awareness, numbers. Um, when you kind of get into that U15, U16 age group, it's hopefully you've built enough competitive environments within your training session but winning now on the weekend, it should matter a little bit more if they want to progress to the next level. And it's a gradual progression where you start kind of putting winning higher on the priority list the more they develop within youth soccer. So by the time they get to college soccer, you're not having to drive the competitiveness out of them. They're just competitive athletes. They're competitive people in everything that they do. So I think that is the biggest difference that we, we should see the progression that at an earlier age, Competitive should always be there, but that shouldn't be the priority. But as they progress up the ladder, um, it should become more prominent. When they get here, they have to be a competitive young men and, and, and young women when they get to college. Um, but you can still teach the game. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. You can still teach pro- proper concepts, especially when we're recruiting internationally or even just statewide. And, and they just come from different setups. And there is more than one way to play the game. Just because we have a certain style of play doesn't mean that the school next door or the team next door or the team that they've come from is wrong. It's just the way we see it versus the way somebody else sees it. So if we identify an individual that has the technical, physical capacities and, and the attitude that we're looking for, but they've come from a different system, when they come into our system, they're not naturally going to fit in. There's a learning component to it, and there's a learning curve that's going to be associated with it. So we like to take the developmental approach, not just on the human part of it, but on the athlete part of it as well. Um, and I think if you don't, we don't have to separate the two. Yeah, I really don't think you have to separate the two, and that's just my opinion. Uh, where a lot of other environments, they do separate the two. It becomes only about winning, or only about soccer, or only about the human factor of it as well, right? And, and yeah. so uh, I think that's that could be the biggest difference, but I don't think it has to be. I think, like you say, when you when you're 
focus is truly on developing them and in helping them to eventually get the most out of their, you know, maximizing their talents, maximizing their potential. You need to, you need to have both. You need and to be able to align them. both. Yeah. Yep. You got to line them up and, and having both of them, then, you know, that it, it makes them, you know, work a little bit harder. Mm-hmm. There's a little more effort when there's something to play for. There's a vision of, you know, being a division one first team athlete, you know, um, they're here in your program and they want to become a starter and not even beyond being a starter, but maybe they're just a contributing player, but you want to win, you know, you want to win something. But it also, I think that that developing of the character of the person helps that, you know, their, their effort of how they work, their effort of how they contribute, if the character's strong is a little bit higher. Mm-hmm. Um, then maybe just the guy who's just, I'm just a competitor, that's all I am. And when things get tough, um, things don't go their right, way a little yeah. bit. Because you can, you can leverage one against the other yes. in, the, in that process, right? Like you can say, yeah. like, so I know you want to be a, a great footballer. Here are the things that it takes. Are you a good teammate? Mm-hmm. Right? Are you, are, you, are you selfless? So you can marry the two yeah. without compromising either, either or. So Absolutely. if you identify as someone is, more of the football and they just want to, they, they want to soak in as much football knowledge as possible. That's great. That doesn't mean that you can't talk about discipline and sacrifice and character and, and, and leadership. Those are all values of life. So I think, you know, I think a lot of coaches uh, run away from, from marrying the two, yeah. right? From bringing them into the same environment. Um, is there a part of, of just coaching that is like your favorite part of coaching? I, I think just the time on the field. I think that's just uh, you know those two hours, hour and a half, and two hours that you get. I think that's uh, that's my favorite time with the players. But I love my interaction with my staff. Like I love that planning practice, that periodization of like what looking ahead in the next two, three weeks, yeah. game schedule, um, travel. When are we gonna travel? What, what are we gonna eat? Uh, I don't like the fact that we have to do those things at the college level, that the, co- the coaches actually have to call the hotels and a lot of things, you know, at least at our school. That part of it I don't love, but the conversation about that, right? Mm-hmm. Preparing the environment for success. I love that part of it and the interaction with the staff and what do you think? What's your experience as a player? What did you like? What, did, what didn't you like? What's the pulse of the team? How do you think that they will feel about this? Um, and, and the coaching staff, I kind of view it as, as my team mm-hmm. because I'm no longer a player, but I love the team environment. So I look at my coaching staff as, as, as that team that you long to be a part of. Everyone longs to belong to something. Yeah. Uh, and I think my coaching staff, I want to make sure that they, they feel like they have that inclusiveness and they have their opinion is, is heard. They also have respect for the difference of opinions. You know, just because we have different opinions, it doesn't make us enemies and doesn't make us right or wrong. We can learn from one another. Mm-hmm. And, and I try to surround my staff, my, myself with staff that can add something to the environment. Uh, but I, I love those two components. I love being on the field with the players and coaching and just being out there. Um, but I love those hours of discussion in the office with the coaching staff and drawing up, you know, yeah. plays on the board and, and you know, talking about players like, no, why do you think that guy needs to play there? Those, those are just fun moments. Yeah, those are fun conversations. Um, I know you said earlier uh, Mark Nichols was kind of, you know, very influential for you. Was there something, uh, maybe not even him, but anybody else, where there's a lesson or something that just has stuck with you that a coach said or, or – that you learned from a coach that's just this this is definitely something that I, that came out of coaching that has just stuck with me yeah I, I think the, the the teammate 
Right? I think the question that I hear and I've and I've heard from Marcus before, um, in, in in a different in a phrase differently, but um, what you did, do you think that serves your team? Did that action on the field, did that action off the field, that attitude, that behavior, how does that impact the team? And I think that's one of the, the that's a self-reflection moment that many should have more of because we're all very self-centered in our approach as humans. And mm-hmm. it's always, what's best for me? How do I get ahead or how do I get better? And sometimes it's not a wrong mentality to have because you do need to have self-ambition. Uh, but we get caught up in that oftentimes. And um, I've had some coaches or been around in some environments. I've heard other coaches say, you know, when they when they recruit, when they're looking for players, um, ask them, if I were to ask your coach, what kind of teammate would they say you are? If I were to ask your teammates, what kind of teammate would they say that you are? Um, what kind of teammate do you think that you are? And and, and Mark, has, uh, he's asked me that a few times in different environments, and that's been echoed by some other coaches that I've been or that I've had the pleasure to be around through my coaching education, my coaching journey. Uh, and I think that's just a, that's a, that's a, such an important question that if your actions serve the team or if they serve you. That's a great question, great question. Um, what does it mean for you to be successful as a coach? Yeah, I think it's a, that's a loaded question, right? Because I think success is defined differently by, by every single person. Um, for me, it's, it's, it's clear cut, is the impact that I can have on my players, right? It's the growth that I can have on them. Um, I, I do believe that if you treat players right, if you're looking to uh, make people better people, with a, with a baseline of skill set that they need to have to perform that task, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but if, you're, if, you're, if you identify a good footballer that can do the things you ask them to do and you focus on growing them as a human being and they do grow, right? And through failure sometimes, right? And, Absolutely. Um, but you can see them, in, we have them for four years, five at max. That growth, when they graduate and you can see and you can build on that relationship and you can say thank you to them for what they've done and what they've been able to put up with. Often they say thank you to you for the growth, but I look at them and say, listen, I know it wasn't easy, so thank you for sticking it out, and I'm really proud of you for that. You know, I think to me, there's, there's, no, there's no better moment. I think the, the successes and the trophies, those things will continue to be there and they'll continue to happen, but in a four to five year period, I think you're limited with time, and, and time is a commodity here with us at a college level. We don't have a whole lot of especially because we don't have a lot of contact time with the players, right? Yeah. Summertime goes around, you have four months away from them, you're restricted how much you can actually work with them in season. So the most amount of impact that we can have with the, the time that's given to us, um, you, you try to identify those individual moments where you can really you know, change their mindset or impact their mindset as much as possible. So success to me is, is the impact that you've been able to have uh, in it throughout their career. I think it's like we said earlier, like you can have both. You like can. if your focus is there, then I think you can take those players at whatever skill level they are um, and be able to get more out of them, yeah. be able to improve their ability, and and then that shows up on the field. 100%. It shows up in your win-loss column. Yeah. And you might take a little bit longer, mm-hmm. right? When, when, you do, when you do marry the two and you, you have to be careful in how you navigate – with each individual player and you know, in situation. Um, and not everyone, I tell the guys all, all the time, like, I'm gonna love you the same, but I'm gonna treat you differently. Yeah. Because they're different people. Yeah. Right? They're different guys. So um, you have to navigate that a little bit more. You have to fail a few times as a coach to see what worked, what, what didn't work, what triggered response on certain players. 
Um, and some people just aren't patient enough to do that, or they yeah. that's just not innate in them. Um, but yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't think you have to compromise either one. Um, last question I had. I heard. I just. I heard you say something as we were out at the the field today. You were talking uh, maybe to Tom, and I heard you say something about uh, you were discussing like a theory of something about a you know maybe it's a coach or somebody you know yelling at a player in a moment or something, and I I just kind of overheard it, mm-hmm. so I don't even know if you remember what I know what I was talking yeah, about. Yeah, I think we're, we're talking about body language. We're talking okay. about the, the, the nonverbal communication with the players. Okay. Right. That the play, players when they're when they get coached or yelled at or criticized in public that it draws shame mm-hmm. to them so they're going to listen to a portion of that or none of that right or when a player makes a mistake and players always look at the sideline for the coaches right for the affirmation i i've seen it 10 times in just this afternoon session okay. my player do something and then they look over they to look me. over <laughs> yeah absolutely so i think you have there's a, there's a power in the nonverbal in the body language of a coach that that player receives the message without you shaming them publicly. And certain players you can do that with and they don't find that as shame because they have that thick skin, you've developed that relationship with them, you can get after them a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But there's certain players that you're nonverbal, your arms crossed, you sitting down specifically after that moment or you stand or applaud and be like, hey, I got you, like next time, or just kind of getting that applaud. I think there's so much power in that nonverbal that could yeah. be more impactful than anything you can say at that moment. Right? So I think you as a coach can pick and choose your moments and how to use your communication more effectively and not always feel like you have to be that cheerleader. You may not have to be because it becomes noise sometimes. You also don't have to be that teacher all the time that has to lecture all the time from the sideline. You don't always have to be the joystick guy that tells them what to do and what not to do. If your principles in training throughout the week have been instilled, you have your moments to bring someone in, maybe talk to them a little bit in, in, in a game, very minimal moments, but be careful not to be the joystick guy. Be careful not to be the cheerleader. Be careful not to be always with the ruler uh, around. Can you find uh, a balance between all of those moments? Uh, and then can you, can you institute intentionally your body language in certain moments, specifically with certain players that you need to know who receives the information better and who is not gonna be receptive to that to that public criticism yeah that's that's a good one that's a that is going to be a good one for me to remember as as well because again i think we always think as coaches it's it's what we're saying yeah. like you know they it's what oh, we're we saying it to them yeah yeah what they and and that they're hearing everything but a lot of times like you said like they're just they 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 feed off you for like we we're just talking about the encouragement the confidence everything just by the way they look at you sure you just by how you're carrying yourself on the sidelines. So that's a good reminder as well for, for me and my coaching to, to be thinking about that. Cause sometimes I'm just thinking about, okay, how, what am I going to say to this, this player mm-hmm. to help him? What am I going to teach him next? You know, as I'm observing, but it could all be from, you know, that body language of yeah. how we're, we're, well, we, we as coaches want to validate how much we know too. Right. Like we want to say it because it sounds good and like just do what I'm telling you to do. And I went to a coaching it, course. I need to tell you this. Yeah, thing. like you'll be fine, right? Like so, I think I think there's a lot there's a lot of power in what you don't say, and yeah. and it can be really impactful. Because make no mistake, whether the player likes you or doesn't like you, he wants your validation. He, that's why they look over to the sideline. That's why they come over to you and like they want that validation. So 
um, you have to be you know, be careful, be careful, and how you use that power. Yeah, and I think it's important that what you said about the the shaming, mm-hmm. you know, and whether they take it that way or not, but it's that that saying that when you said that, what I heard was the that saying of you, you know, you praise in public and criticize in private. Oh, private. Yeah. yeah, and you can bring him in, right? You can have the body language, but hey, that remember, remember that one moment? You saw the way I looked at you, right? He's like, yeah, coach, I did. Well, here's, wh- ask him, what did you think of that? What would you have done differently? And sometimes, what the mistake that they made in their mind is completely different than Absolutely. the mistake that you thought they made. So then it's important to, be, you know, to not criticize all the time or not to jump in all the time because you might have been looking at the situation completely different. Maybe the ball just went off their toe rather than body language. But maybe they saw it. Maybe they didn't see it. And you're like, man, I need you to find that, that entry pass. Well, yeah, I tried. And you're saying, I need you to find it. He goes, well, I found it. I just didn't, just didn't, didn't get off my foot. So I think, once again, be, be careful. And, and, and we as coaches make this mistake all the time. Um, find a balance between the verbal, the nonverbal, the positive, the negative, and how you praise and how you do publicly and, and how you do privately. Yeah. yeah. As we wrap up part two of our interview with Coach Mauricio Ruiz, head men's soccer coach from Jacksonville University, you know, I found again, I just enjoyed hearing his journey into coaching and what his heart and focus is and how it never changed from the youth coach to rising to becoming a Division I collegiate coach. I think there was a lot of good information in there for, for coaches at all levels. And I, I hope you share this, this episode with other coaches that you know and can think of. Uh, remember, you can always find us at getmorecoach.com for additional resources. You can go there um, and get our book, Get More for Coaches. Um, we have opportunities where you can um, get packages and, and have webinars that we can bring to your program that we can share with your coaches and equipping them. Um, visit us over on Kickstarter. We're participating in Break Kickstarter. And as a coach and a competitor, I really want to break the Break Kickstarter. So we're trying to get uh, coaches, uh, athletic directors, um, anybody that just believes that in the culture of youth sports right now, that our youth coaches need something to equip them, to help them be able to better motivate the, the players are coaching and give them a tool. Um, uh, the Alpine group, they do, do a study and in their study, they said that there's three and a half million youth coaches in America, um, coaching about 35 to 40 million kids that are participating in organized youth sports a year of those three and a half million youth coaches, their study found that only 30% of them have effective motivational technique training and also only about 30% of them have effective training in the sport that they're coaching. So we need to provide them with a tool and a resource. And this has been, you know, the Get More acronym formula has been a resource I created for myself to help me in my coaching. It's the lens in which I filter my decisions and take my players from motivation to empowerment and how we build momentum with our teams. Um, if you have any questions about it, you can always feel free to email me at joby, J-O-B-Y, at getmorecoach.com, J-O-B-Y, at getmorecoach.com. 
Come back and listen to our third installment of this series with Coach Mauricio. We'll be talking about uh, youth soccer and youth sports. Uh, Again, good information there for the parents and coaches. And if you found valuable valuable information today, please leave us a review. Um, That always helps us with our our, our podcast and getting this information out to more people. Please leave us a a five-star review on here and uh, look forward to you coming and visiting us back on uh, part three of our series with Coach Mauricio.